Duke fans, welcome to episode 290 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Carolina preview time. I hope that you bothered to listen to the interview that Donald and I did with Cassius Stanley about the upcoming slam dunk contest. It was a great interview. It was a ton of fun. If you've not had time to listen to that one, finish listening to this one. And then make sure you listen to that one before Sunday, which is when Cash will be in the NBA Slam Dunk Contest. And he just gave us so much good, fun stuff. But this episode is not about that. This episode is about the final regular season game, the Blue Devils versus the Tar Heels, the greatest rivalry there is in sports. And to preview it, I am joined by my partners in crime, Donald Wine. Donald, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Uh, we're recording this kind of in the evening. We usually do it in the morning. So uh, let's see how I perform on this show with dinner in me. Usually ah. I don't even have breakfast before we record. <laughs> and Sam Klein is also joining us. And because it's in the evening, Sam's having a little tiny bit of a drink, right? I, I was going to say I've had a beer, but I haven't had dinner yet. So this this will be a very easy episode for me. Normally in the morning, I've like eaten breakfast. And so I'm feeling like a little sluggish, but now I'm kind of fired up. Between us, we've had a balanced meal. So <laughs> between us, the, the, the problem is all the good calories have gone to you and all the bad calories have gone to me. Hey, so. they're both they're both good calories if you think about it in a positive way. That's true. I love it. Before we talk about the Carolina game, I still you guys put the Cassius Stanley episode out, uh, I guess, this morning. It's it's Thursday night right now. That episode played this morning. We recorded it yesterday. I was not able to join. I haven't listened to it yet. But we have gotten multiple emails from listeners about how great it was. So I've got it in my podcast feed, and I'm going to listen to it at some point when I get a few minutes. It's just been a hard week at work for me this week, so I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet. But I'm glad that we had Cassius Stanley. And before we, when we were setting up that interview, I said, man, I'm really glad we got him because I remembered from last year when he was on campus that he was like, I think, my favorite interview on the team other than Trey Jones. So uh, very cool to have Cassius Stanley back on the show and can't wait to listen to him talk about the dunks. Oh, it is. It's great. And, and by the way, uh, it's not just the dunks. I mean, the reflections he has on last year's team, on what he thinks is wrong with this year's team, really insightful commentary. And, and uh, like I said at the top, folks, go out and have a listen to that. But like I also said at the top, we're putting that aside because it's time to talk about UNC. And the, the Tar Heels are a quite formidable opponent who have been up and down lately. Um, Donald, you, you have two roles for us in our UNC preview here. The first one is, as usual, we, we ask you to look at the schedule. You know, what have they done in terms of their results? Uh, and then I talk about the advanced metrics and Sam talks about the players. But in addition to all that, you also got to sit in on Coach K's news conference today. Folks, Coach K doesn't do this every week. He holds a special news conference the week of the Carolina game to preview that game. So, Donald, why don't we, before we get to all the stuff about UNC, talk about D-U-K-E and Coach K. What did he have to say in that news conference today? Well, a lot of the questions today were about UNC's bigs versus our bigs. And, and I think that is a key component of what, was the signature kind of battle in the last game. So it was, it, I mean, it made sense that that was the focus. I mean, they focused well, in a lot of, although, although it's worth noting in the last game, the story of the game to some extent was the outside shooting by both teams, mm -hmm. North Carolina's Caleb love just went off uh, in right. a way he hasn't all season prior to that or since then. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, so it's the bigs, but the guards were the difference last game. 
They were, but I think going forward, I mean, in, in the inconsistency that we've seen from both teams, it's been the bigs that have kind of been, uh, at least UNC's bigs that were the primary focus of how they roll it. They, if they're successful, it's because their bigs are successful. If they're not, it's because their bigs had an off night. In focusing on UNC's bigs, one of the people that was focused on the most was kind of the emergence of Walker Kessler, who kind of had a breakout game against Florida state and really had a coming out party of sorts. He's been a guy that, I mean, against us, he didn't feature in very, very much. He came in and we saw him a little bit, three minutes. He played three, three minutes. minutes against us. And the guy's like, a you know, now he's their stud. It's crazy. Now he's their stud. And, and I mean, obviously he's a guy that we recruited coach K talked finally about, you know, getting to know him and his family and just you know, the presence that he had. And the fact that we uh, actively pursued him until he decided to go to UNC, but he is now a factor in this game because they've kind of redone their game plan to factor him in to play 15, 20 minutes and, and be that guy off the bench, kind of a spark. I asked him, I was able to get the last question in with coach K and I asked him about Jamin Brayfield and about the versatility that he can possess in both a big lineup and a small lineup. And I remember in the last game, while we were focusing in the big lineup and their bigs, as you mentioned, Jason, we had to kind of go small because their guards started killing us. And it was Caleb Love and guys shooting shooting from outside that really did us in. And also them getting to the free throw line and making free throws. We didn't have that many free throws against UNC. I believe they were 17 for 22 or something like that uh, when it comes to going to the free throw line. But I asked about Jamin Brakefield and his role in being the versatile guy that can both play in the big and small lineup. And he said, and he also said this about Mark Williams, uh, another guy who has kind of come on, on late of late for us, as we all know. He talked about freshman fouls, and he talked about Mark Williams not being in the game late uh, against Louisville and I believe against Georgia Tech because of the fact that he has a tendency to have freshman fouls. And I know we'll talk a little bit about some other guys, but I want to make that point known because he really zoned in on that and saying, like, if the freshman can play like veterans – we have a better chance against UNC than if the freshmen play like freshmen. The interesting thing about that observation, Donald, is that, it, like you said, in the last game, Carolina's guards were the ones who killed Duke. But traditionally, Carolina, and this year is no exception, is a big man-driven team. And they've got you know, Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks, who are both experienced and we know are good. They, you know, they're up and down. It's not like either of them is, is always amazing. But the emergence of Walker Kessler for them means that UNC now has a normal Roy Williams, UNC type big man rotation. But meanwhile, four since guys, that first, right, four guys, since I mean, that, wow. but yeah. since that first UNC game, Duke also has had an emergence of big men. I, I think that the, the, in a weird way, the subtraction of Jalen Johnson has made the Mark Williams, Matthew Hurt and Jamin Brakefield rotation actually very strong relative to to how Duke normally is. So this is a game where big men are going to factor on both sides. Absolutely. And I don't want to make it seem like it was all doom and gloom and they're saying, oh, their, their bigs are just going to punish us. What I will say is Coach K was also very, uh, very uh, complimentary of our bigs in the fact that they have had some really big tests over the last couple of weeks. If you talk about UVA and Jay Huff and Sam Hauser just the other night against Moses Wright, and he talked about how, Mark Williams and even Jim and Brakefield have had those tests already. And, you know, they, you know, he's like Jamin Brakefield. He did well in one, he may have not done well against the other, but he has those learning experiences and he didn't have those 
three weeks ago when we played UNC. He wasn't the guy that was really asked to be one of those that goes after the big. So I think that is something that we can take and say, Jamin can be a versatile X factor for our team. If he can match up well with on defense, especially, and stop some of those bigs, even if they're rotating him in throughout the game, he can be a guy that can stem the flow of the bigs and make and force the guards to try and beat us again. The, I think the odds of that happening are slim, but we do have to be careful of their guards. I do think, though, that, as you said, Sam, it does start with the bigs, and I think that battle is still the most important one of the weekend. I mean, to me, the most fascinating thing about this matchup is in three weeks how much the two teams have changed. That you have Walker Kessler, who has come on. Like I said, he played three minutes against us. Mark Williams played 14 minutes against Carolina. Jamin Brakefield only played four. I, I, I will guarantee you right now, Take it to the bank that Mark Williams and Jamin Brakefield will combine for more than 18 minutes in the game against Carolina on Saturday. There's absolutely no question about that. So these two teams have really evolved pretty significantly in a span of just a few weeks. Uh, it's just something you don't see that all, all that often. And by the way, as important as this game felt a few weeks ago, when both of these teams were kind of teetering, Carolina has probably improved their stock a little bit more than Duke has in recent weeks, but they also have a recent loss to Syracuse. Like that's their, that that's what happened and Marquette. Most recently. And, Marquette. And, and that loss to Marquette, that was like a total unforced error for them. So it's not like UNC is guaranteed to make the tournament right now. Duke is certainly not guaranteed to make the tournament. So both teams in a, in a rare uh, occurrence for this rivalry are both kind of fighting for their tournament lives right now. So on top of a lot of development and emergence for young big men in this game, you also have, a lot of urgency on both sides, which should make it an even more exciting game. Yeah. In terms of tournament standing, I would say if Duke loses this game, we, we almost certainly have to win the ACC tournament. May, you know, maybe there's a scenario where we make the ACC. I think Duke has to win the ACC tournament. If they lose this game, I think they're out of they're they're, they're like, unless like so many other teams fall off, Duke is basically like out of opportunities now. And I think Carolina, obviously you're, you're correct. They're in a better situation, but if they lose the game, they're back on the bubble. They they will need to perform in the ACC tournament um, if, if they lose to Duke. If they beat Duke, then the ACC tournament almost becomes irrelevant to them, I think, except in terms of seeding. Well, when you think about the ACC tournament, and I know we're I was going to talk about this a little bit, but I think we're in the conversation now. If you look at the standings right now, UNC is seventh in the standings. Duke is 10th. Now, I know there's some ties and tiebreakers, whatever, but that's how it's listed right now. Duke can move up to eighth, which is important. Because if Duke is 10th, they'll have to win five games in five days to win the ACC tournament. So if they, if we win, the worst we can finish is 10th, because that's where we're at right now. We can move up as much as 8th. But if we move up to 8th, then it's only four games in four days. So if you're going to pad your resume with teams that are tournament bound, you want to get to those teams as quickly as possible and not mess with the teams that aren't going to move the needle for you. If you're sitting there trying to win five games in five days, you have to play two days worth of games and then you're tired by the time you get to those teams that will pad your resume. Yeah. Five and five is almost impossible to I like that. You can count, I think on one hand, the number of teams that have won conference tournaments, five games in five days, you're, you're just exhausted by the end of it. And this Duke team has not demonstrated in recent weeks that they have the stamina to get through one 40 minute game without having a, a stretch of, of, 
kind of lackadaisical play. So that's a that's a bad formula for Duke. When, when the Jason Tatum led Blue Devils won four games in four days to win the AC tournament, everyone was talking about what a big deal that was, how how impressive that performance was by them to to extend it to another game, another day, five and five days. It's it's almost impossible to imagine. Uh, Sam, you may be right. Maybe someone's done it before. I imagine in the history of college basketball, someone did that. I think that UConn team did it. The Kemba Walker oh, okay, UConn team. Okay, that's right. Yes, did. yes. Mm-hmm. Good call. And then they went all the way to win the fluke to the national championship. Well, I digress. <laughs> no, but Donald, but, how do you really feel about that? I'm not bitter at all. Not at all. <laughs> but anyway, the bottom line is, yeah, it, it'd be a huge hill to climb. So really important game. All right, so guys, let's get to our usual way of previewing these things. Um, and, and Sam, actually, I'm going to let you go first. Talk about the players um, you know, we, we've already alluded to some of this stuff. So a lot of it's not going to be new to people, but, but give us what you got anyway. Well, we talked about the big men, Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks are obviously very important for Carolina. And I mentioned Walker Kessler and Donald talked about Walker Kessler. Who's come on the other guy who didn't get any run in our initial, uh, walk through the Carolina lineup as a big man is Dayron Sharp, who, if you look maybe at maybe the Palm, best of any of them, <laughs> yeah, you look at Ken Palm. Turns he's out a, he's okay. Sharp, he's the best offensive rebounder in the country uh, by advanced metrics. So Dayron Sharp's another guy you got to look out for. You, you know something amazing about that, by the way? Yes, he is the number one guy in the country in offensive rebounding. If you look though, you know who you know that Walker Kessler is actually a better offensive rebounder than he is. Walker Kessler's offensive rebounding percentage is better than Dayron Sharp. He just doesn't Kessler have enough hasn't enough. He hasn't played. He doesn't qualify to be the. The national leader. So they not only they got the best offensive rebounder in the country, and they got the only guy who's better than him. <laughs> right. So so Carolina's big men, like I mean, welcome to the to the broken record. Carolina has great big men, and they have deep big men. And when their starting big men go to the bench, the bench big men come out and are still great. So that's going to be key in this game. And how many times are we going to talk about the emergence of Mark Williams and Jamin Brakefield on this Duke team? So they've got an important game ahead of them. And by the way, Matthew Hurt is is also in the mix there. So I think this is going to be a game that's going to feature great big men against great big men. And, and I'm excited for that. Going to the backcourt, I was looking at uh, Syracuse's game against Carolina recently. Syracuse beat Carolina the other night. Um, it's we were talking about it was Carolina's second loss in in three games when they also lost to Marquette and one of the things that stood out to me from that game is that Buddy Beheim took 13 threes for Syracuse and made six of them now Duke has not been shooting the three well recently or at least not in a in a consistent way and not from the guys who have been the shooters all year Matthew Hurt has not taken as many threes he's taken more shots from inside recently and he's fouled out from a couple games so the guys that I'm looking for to step up in this game, DJ Stewart, number one. This is a guy who we know can shoot, has not been shooting well recently, but we know that he has a good shot. We know that he's good at getting open. And I would love to see DJ Stewart make a few threes in this game. The other guy is Joey Baker, who has flashed the ability to make threes in recent weeks. We Again, another guy, we know he has a good shot. We know that he's big and can get open, but he's got to make a few of those. So if if one of those guys can get close to replicating what Buddy Beheim did for Syracuse, I think that's going to be huge for Duke. And uh, elsewhere, 
Uh, I hope that Duke is able to contain Caleb Love a little more in this game. Caleb Love, as we were talking about, had a monstrous game against Duke the first time around. And hopefully this time there's a little bit more attention paid to him by the guards who are playing defense primarily for Duke. That's Jordan Goldwire. That's Wendell Moore. I want those guys to be locking up Caleb Love. I want them to be keying in on him. And hopefully if Duke is able to contain Caleb Love and turn him over a little bit more, then they can gain the edge in this game that they didn't have the last time around. Last time we played Carolina, Duke hit 44% of our threes, 44%. The past two games that Duke has lost, we hit less than 20% and right around 25% in those two games. I'll go ahead and and put the number at 33. If Duke doesn't hit 33% of their their threes, we're not, we're not beating Carolina. I just, I, I don't, I don't see enough other ways for us to score for us to beat them. If we're again, shooting really poorly from the perimeter. Um, and, and this is probably a good moment for me to get to some of the advanced stats uh, about UNC, because one thing to note about them is they're not very good at defending the three pointer. This is a team that, that struggles with teams that are able to, to, to hit three pointers on them. Carolina's uh, three point field goal percentage defense is 250th in the country. That's not good. They give up 35% from three. Like I said, I think 33% is the magic number. Duke's got to get there to have a chance in this game. And that's what Carolina routinely gives up higher than that. Um, This Carolina team is 33rd in Ken Palm. They are 63rd on offense, 22nd on defense. And just so you can compare them to where they were three, four weeks ago when we played them, they were about the same on offense, but they were uh, a few weeks ago, they were they were 33rd on defense. They're now 22nd on defense. They've really moved up nicely in that category. Um, and the way they've moved up is because they do everything good, but nothing great on defense. They're a top 50 team at blocking shots, top 80 team at getting steals, top 80 team at two-point field goal um, percentage defense. Like they, they, you know, they don't prevent you from getting, they prevent you from getting two-pointers really well. And they're a very good defensive rebounding team. Nothing great there. There's nothing like, oh, they're top 10, you know, in the country at this. It is that they are good at everything on defense and they've risen up steadily. And having a top 20 defense is a big deal for UNC. Let me talk about the offense really quick. I think you already know what I'm going to say. Uh, they toss the ball at the basket and, and then they, ju- they just go grab it. They go get it. They're not even trying to put it in. They're just trying to toss it up there because they know they're going to get the rebound. The number one team in the country, best team in the entire nation at offensive rebounding percentage, 40.9%. That's the number. If they take a shot and they miss it, they have a 40.9% chance of grabbing the missed, the missed rebound, which is an amazing number. This Carolina team is the seventh tallest team in all of college basketball. And they basically, you know, they grab all the offensive rebounds. It's good that they do because they're terrible at everything else about playing offense. <laughs> they only hit 30% of their threes. They don't even hit half of their two-point shots. They only hit 66% of their free throws. This is a bad shooting team. I know that when they played us, they shot well from three, but they are routinely a bad shooting team, and they turn the ball over a lot. They have one of the 20 worst rates in the country at giving up steals. If if you want to get the ball from them, they're going to hand it to you. So the key for playing Carolina, keep them off those offensive boards, and you know, do not let them just kill you there because that's where they make their hay on offense. And then on defense, you know, work, get good shots, and take advantage of the fact that they'll let you shoot the three. Those are the keys, you know, from an advanced metric standpoint. Donald, let me get to you. It, it's time to look at sort of their specific results. We've already alluded to some of it, but but give me a little deeper dive on what the Tar Heels have been doing lately. 
Well, first, they're 15 and nine right now, nine and six in the ACC. But since they last played us, they are three and three. As you guys mentioned uh, in some of this that we've already talked about so far, they beat Northeastern by 20. That was the game they kind of literally threw it out throughout on Twitter and asked for someone to play them. And Northeastern said, yeah, cool, we'll do it. They beat them by 20. They beat the absolute pants off of Louisville by 45. Uh, that was the game where Louisville had just come back from a COVID pause. And then they beat Florida State by eight, which is probably the most impressive of their games since they've played us. They did lose to UVA by 12. As you mentioned, they lost to Marquette by 13. And then on Tuesday night, they lost to Syracuse by two at home. Now, this is what I, I mean, for me, this is a revenge game. It's not just where we try to beat UNC. We always like beating them. We hate when we lose to them, but it's a revenge game. As I've mentioned before, if you have a team that you've lost to, you want to show the NCAA tournament that you're better than you were when you last played them, and you want to win that game so you can show, hey, we avenged our loss. They need to do that, but to do that, they're going to play better. They want to play better. They want to ruin UNC's senior night. This is something that I'm really glad that we got to interview Cassius Stanley on yesterday. He talked about the importance of the fans and how it makes them go. And there will be fans in the stands on Saturday night in the Dean Dome. It will be great to, if they get the juice to go out there and make that dome shut the hell up. Like, that will be awesome. And I think they have the opportunity. They can say, hey, look, it's UNC. I hope they replay last year's game at the Dean Dome 100 times between now and Saturday. Just to hear, and Sam, I know you were there, so you know what, this, what I'm talking about. That din of noise go to silence i want to hear that on saturday i want them to shut that dome up to the point where you could hear a pen drop anywhere in that arena to be fair in the dean dome last year when that happened i was screaming absolutely so, and i could hear you but i was upstairs so you, <laughs> but but that's you, the you idea hear me down on the court but that's the idea win the rebounding battle win the make the jump shots don't allow unc to control the paint those things are obvious but just take the juice out of the Dean Dome. Take that noise and turn it to silence. That will be a great thing because that means that we will have walked out of there once again with a victory. So we've given you just about everything you could want, but there's a name that has not been mentioned yet on this podcast today that we're going to tell you is a huge key to the game coming up with Carolina. We're going to have that after a quick commercial break. So we're back and we got a couple of little nuggets about Carolina that we want to get in here. Um, Sam, I'm going to go to you first. You have a guy that we haven't talked about yet that you think is a key to this game. Talk about yeah, it. Ab absolutely. In the first UNC game, which we remember was a scoring bonanza. That's the one that Carolina won 91 to 87. One of the guys for UNC who was electric on offense was Kerwin Walton. He went four for four from three. That's another guy that, that was torching Duke. And I was talking earlier about how we need our guards to shut down Caleb Love in this game. Walton's another one that Duke needs to be able to put a little, little bottle up on. And looking at recent games, again, going back to how Carolina's uh, won for their last three games, in the loss against Syracuse, Walton went one for 10 from the floor and 0 for 7 from three. And against Marquette, just two for seven from three and two for nine from the field overall. So it can be done. I'm sure that the Duke guards are watching a lot of film this week. I think that there's there's film for them to be watching 
on the defending Carolina side. And there's a lot of film for them to be watching on the offensive production in their own right side. So I think we're going to know a few minutes into this game, how prepared the guards are. And to me, that's the key as much as, as much fun as it's going to be to see the big man battle between the young Duke bigs and the slightly more experienced, but still somewhat young Carolina bigs. The, the key to this game, I think is going to be how prepared the young Duke guards are to match up against those UNC guards who were so good against them in the first matchup. Do not leave Kerwin Walton alone on the perimeter. That is the absolutely do not do that. Bad idea. Yeah. The, nearly 75% of his shots. Like if Kerwin Walton puts up a shot there, it's like a three to one, four to one chance that it is a three pointer. The guy, he, he doesn't do anything but shoot threes all day long. So you got to guard him. There's honestly, those, honestly, yeah. I, this is the only, this is the only time I want to hear his name. Like I, I want this to be the last time this week I hear his name on Shut Sunday or Saturday night when we <laughs> review, when we recap this game, I don't want to have to mention his name that he did something in this game other than sit down on the bench and do absolutely nothing. I like it. That, that works. I, I want to mention one other little quirk about this game. And I mentioned this the last time, but it's just so strange and so interesting that I want to bring it up again, just so folks can notice it. Um, it's about the tempo. It's about the speed that North Carolina plays at. They have this weird quirk about them. They are super fast on offense and super slow on defense. And by that, I mean, they, they run the Carolina fast break. They want to push the pace when they're on offense. They get off shots at the 25th fastest rate in the country. That is really fast. They're the 25th fastest team in all of college basketball, but they are super slow on defense. They want to slow you down, get you into a drag out, you know, physical battle in the half court. They are the 291st slowest team, or I guess 291st fastest, whatever you want to call it, really slow on defense. So one thing to look out for is, is Duke slowing Carolina down? Are they preventing Carolina from getting in that fast break? And is Duke able to get a little bit of tempo of our own on offense? Or are we constantly working late in the shot clock against the Carolina bigs? And, and that's not where you want to be. So that's, that's my last little thing that we got to look at. Before we go, Donald, I know you've got a little trip down memory lane that you want to take for folks. Uh, it's something that came up. I saw it on Twitter today, and, and you said you remember this exact moment. So talk about it a little bit. Tell folks what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, Andre Dawkins, who former Duke player, uh, has his own podcast. It's called Dawkins on Duke. And on his most recent episode, he had Jay Williams, who, as we know, uh, Looks if you're if you're watching this on Zoom, which you're not, but these guys know, uh, is sitting right behind me uh, on the poster uh, for the 2002 team. Obviously, a national champion, uh, his names and rafters, everything. But he was talking about the story of why he decided to return to Duke for his junior year after winning the national championship. And it's funny because when he was starting the story, and, and there's a clip of it on Twitter, when he starts the story, he's talking about. After winning the national championship in 2001, he, we, he, he comes back to campus, the whole team does, and they have a celebration in Cameron. And I happen to be there because it was my freshman year. I did not go to the, to the Final Four. I watched the game in Cameron, which was an incredible experience. I hope that every, fresh, every class at Duke ever gets to experience. But he came back, and, and the whole team was there. And they usually have a little celebration where everyone gets to say a few words about the, about the win and about the championship and thanking the fans. So they go down the line, they have coach K, he says something magnificent. And I, I don't, don't worry about the exact words, but 
there, there are very inspirational spiritual words that you would want after winning a national title. And then you have Shane Battier, who's going out on top. Nate James, who's going out on top. They both say their spiel. And then it comes to Jay Will. And Jay Will, at that point, everyone figured that he was bound to be probably the number one pick in the NBA draft. If not number one, number two, number, top, top two or three. And everyone was expecting to give a speech that would indicate that that was the final speech that he would give in Cameron because he was going pro. And he goes up and he's so he starts talking and he basically says something. And all of a sudden, one more year, one more year, the entire crowd starts chanting one more year. And he says that he heard this and just got sucked up into the moment and to some, said something basically to the effect of we're going to do this again next year. I'm coming back. We all go absolutely bonkers. What he doesn't realize in his, in his conscious mind is that he just announced that he was returning to school when he, at that time he was thinking that he was probably leaving. So he said, he called his mom afterwards and said, Hey mom, I just said, I don't know why I said this, but I just told everyone I'm coming back next year. And so he ended up coming back to Duke. Uh, I think he said he took a few days. He said he had to sober up basically uh, after the, after the run. And then he talked about it and finally officially said, uh, a couple weeks later that he was going to return and he did return for his junior year. So I thought that was a really funny thing, but it's funny that he, when he mentioned it and Sam and Jason had sent the tweet to us, uh, I watched the clip and was just like, yeah, that's basically how it went. We basically just pressured him into saying yes. And then he probably had no idea he said it until afterwards. This is part of the impact of the Cameron crazy. This is what Cassius Stanley was talking to us about that. They, they, they make you do crazy things. They lift you up in crazy kind of ways and the Cameron Crazies convinced Jay Will to come back when he didn't plan on coming back. And I love that story. That's just so funny. And I can totally envision, I, and I can envision him being on the phone with his mom, being like, Mom, I think I just announced that I'm coming back to do it. I didn't mean to, but I think I just announced it. And, and you guys remember, there are many stories about Jay Will's mother. I'm sure he may have, it's entirely possible he said to her, I, I think I can probably back out of this. And she was like, no, no, you're, you're coming back. You told will, people you're coming back, you're coming back. I will say about that, there's a couple of things that, would have led to this, right? So his mom was instrumental in saying, you will leave Duke with a degree. If you go to Duke, you're leaving with a degree. I don't care if it takes you two years. I don't care if it takes you four, but you're, but she's like, your butt is leaving with a degree. And so he promised that he would do that. I believe not necessarily on that phone call, but in his decision to come back saying, Hey, I, I owe you a degree. And there's also that, but also this, if he doesn't come back, do you think his jersey goes into the rafters after that next year? Because again, you had to have graduated, and you also like most guys who are sophomores. I don't think there's any sophomores who left as sophomores that have their names in the rafters. If he leaves as a junior, he gets those accolades, he gets national player of the year again, he gets his degree, his number goes up. None of that happens if we didn't pressure him to do so. Absolutely not. So that's actually incredibly momentous. Both, I mean, for Duke, they didn't end up winning the national championship next year, but for Jay Williams to go down as one of the truly all-time greats for coming back after that. And by the way, looking back on it, you know, 15, 20 years later, to think that a guy would give up being a top three pick or a top two pick to come back to school. I mean, that is, it's a different time. I don't really remember it that well. Cause I'm, I like remember Jay will in college certainly, but I'm too young to have appreciated the fact that he was like, you know, a, a top pick who, who decided to come back. So I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. 
and it was big because for him, he got to like he got to live out like the the fantasy that some of us have of of being the big man or woman on campus. He was the guy before it was Shane. And even though Jay Will was one A, Shane was still was still the man. But he had a whole year where Jay Will was top dog on campus, and I'm sure that I, I know he enjoyed it because yeah, I got to see him a few times. But like that is sort of the part of the allure of college right now. Guys don't have that. They don't really care about being the big man on campus beyond year one. They, but he had that instinct. And also he got a degree and fulfilled a promise that he made to his parents. I think that's great. Well, and it is worth noting, he won every player of the year award. Like he, he every won every single one. Yeah. yeah. In, in 2001, he won one or two of them. Shane took most of the player of the year awards in 2001, but in 2002, it was all Jay Will. He has a shelf in his home, I'm sure, full of trophies that he won from that extra year that he took uh, at, at if, Duke coming if back. Nickelo- if Nickelodeon had a player of the year, he won it. Like he literally, I mean, <laughs> people were making up players of the year awards to give it to him that's how many he won that year it was a very special year it, it was it was and uh and just a you know a, a great time uh, as as a duke fan um ah the good old years it's it's fun to reflect on them maybe we got some good stuff coming up right around the corner i think we do I, i'm hoping we do go so, to hell carolina there we go we got to get into go to hell carolina at the end of this podcast that's going to wrap it up for us on our carolina preview sam did you want to give a go to hell oh i wanted to say uh Go to hell, Carolina, go to hell. Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. It is time for the Duke band to play us out. And yes, remember everybody, Saturday night, Carolina goes to hell. All right. That was nice, deep bass in your voice. Yeah, I like that. The growl. Yeah.